T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Monday afternoon, an exciting November coming up. Yeah, it's it's Halloween. Today's the last day of the month, right? So we've got a whole November of, uh, it's not just the election, but what happens after. There's a lot to think about. We'll talk about it. Jim in Wellington right now, though. Hey, Jim. How you doing, Todd? What's up? Uh, last four years, the characterization of the American citizen by the media and then put out there by the, uh, the left. Racists, bigots, homophobes, domestic terrorists, uh, deplorables. Yeah. We go on and on and on with This has been going on uh, since Trump got in. So you're saying the name-calling comes from the power structure? Well, the name-calling, to your point, you mentioned before the break, both parties, quote, I think you said both parties engage in this type of thing. Yes, they do, but not on the level that we've seen in the last four and a half years the third rail of politics you're attacking the voter i mean i i mean the press and then now you're going after the voter when you've got the press who who routinely who media whoever you want to whatever you want to call whatever part of it when you have them routinely telling americans that you are something negative something uh against what america stands for solely on the basis of a vote or a disagreement from a politician and it's 24-7, and it's worse. I lay this right on the feet, 100% progressive Democrats. I lay it right out there. I'll, I'll, I'll take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, put the left on the right, uh, put the left on one side, the right on the other, and let's take a look at the rhetoric in the last six years. Who put it up, who scripted it, and who's been ex- expounding on it since Trump got in? And even before that, Mr. Obama talked about... Uh, Clean to guns and religion. He talked about uh, enjoying or being lazy, having lazy white privilege. He talked about America and Americans as somewhat flawed, a country based on on uh, on, uh, on, uh, on slavery. Uh, of course, those weren't his exact, his, his exact words. Jim, thank you. You've done a good job of. Uh, I I don't know how you retain all that. As a matter of fact, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. We've got to get to a traffic update. Good afternoon to you. I hope you're having a great day enjoying the sunshine and the warmth and the, I don't know, it feels like a surprising October that we had and a, um, a nice wrap-up. Because usually the cold, Halloween is cold normally, isn't it? 
Let's talk to Michael Lebowitz, who is not feeling too much cold right now, but hopefully will be soon. Hello there, Lebo. Hello, sir. Nice to uh, have you it here. It actually is it's nice to be here. It's pretty warm in my room right now. I have a heater in here, so I'm feeling pretty good. But well, not that's for much nice. longer. That's nice. Four more weeks, and I'm no longer an uh, incarcerated individual. How about that? You won't have a recording when you call. No, I will not. We, we so, might be able to do it if you want for old time's sake, but, you know. Mike, I was thinking that you're, uh, you're in a unique situation sitting in a prison cell. Tell us what your conduits of information are these days. Okay, so I watch uh, CBS Morning News for 15 minutes every morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, every Sunday, I watch Fox News Sunday. Sometimes I watch This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Sometimes I watch The Real Story. I listen to your show every day for two hours, sometimes three. I sometimes listen to Tom Shattuck, and I have a few podcasts I listen to. All right, so you got a pretty... Um... I would think that sounds like more information than most people will collect and a more regular consumption. What is your impression of the political environment right now, given the information you see? Okay, so the, the political environment right now, I think, is a disaster. I think we have the, the loudest voices obviously get the most attention. So you have a left that's bordering on socialism. I know you're going to say they're communists. I won't go that far, but they're close. And on the right, you no longer even have the uh, sort of Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater, you know, free market, small government rhetoric. Now you have more of a populist, hate the Democrats, hate the progressives. That's the big message that I get coming out of there. And I don't know that that's representative of the majority of the country, but that certainly is what we hear the most of. And what sort of exacerbates that is you have a media that's you know known as the mainstream media that's obviously biased toward the left, and then you have a right-wing media, which to the right-wing media's credit, they at least don't hide that they're right-wing like the left-wing media does. And so it makes it very difficult to assess the information, the, the validity of the information or the validity of the narrative, because I have to weigh everything against this given source that I'm getting the information from. Yeah, but it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to do that weighing when if if you don't trust any source, do you have some? I mean, we all, we often make some decisions about what we believe and how we believe it, and. That has to do, I think, with weighing the different, like if you're watching Fox News Sunday and this week and a morning show, a network morning news show, and listening to talk radio, you're getting a pretty broad swath of uh, information and perspective. And you kind of uh, weigh the honesty of each of those sources and compare them to each other and come to your own conclusions, right? Yeah, and for instance, I tend to think, that the, the mainstream media's bias and dishonesty comes through mostly in narrative. So I believe the facts that they put out there, but the narrative that they try to spin out of those facts seems to me very obvious, or the given facts that they choose to report. Uh, they had um, 
Christian Unu on uh, this week on one of the shows, mm-hmm. and he seems to be the, the governor of New Yeah, he's a, he's a level-headed guy. He's a very bright guy, and he didn't deny. You know, he didn't say he likes the election deniers and or anything else. What he said was that on the American people's list of priorities, election denying is not high. So even though he doesn't particularly like the uh, senatorial candidate from New Hampshire, the Republican, he is supporting him because of the issues that he supports. And George Stephanopoulos, I think, was doing the interview. He couldn't get his mind around that. Because to George Stephanopoulos, the main thing is the sort of, you know, January 6th narrative. So while what he was saying was accurate, George Stephanopoulos, that the uh, candidate is an election denier, that is not the most important issue uh, from what I gather to most people. But George wanted to make it so. Yes. And the uh, it's an interesting point, you know, what Chris Sununu said. And I think it is how the politics business works, because I uh, I liken it to athletes and if your job is to win baseball games, the reason you can win professional baseball games, say you're a pitcher, is because of your raw talent and your utter tenacity in pursuing your ability to perform at the highest level. And that means that when it comes time to try to win a baseball game, that if you can rub a little oil on your hand and get more action on your on your uh, curveball, then you just might do that. And if you are a hitter and you might need to compete more and you can take some kind of uh, enhancement substance, then you might do that. And I think that's hard for people on the outside to get, but that's if you're performing at a high level, that's what you do. And that's what these politicians do. They want to win these elections. They want to be able to get their policies in place. They want to be able to help other people win. You don't do that by sweating the stuff that isn't relevant to your victory. You do it by focusing on the victory. You know, I love the analogy that you made, Todd, because it reminds me of everything that's going on right now and what I think is the problem with the media. Now, I love capitalism. I love free markets. But it seems to me that's what, what has happened. Is politicians cater to the people that they think are going, you know, they give a message that they going to get them elected. And I think news media, whether it be right or left, they, what they do is cater to the audience. They cater to what's going to get them the most viewers that they can bring in the most money. The problem is, in my view, is that in the current society, there's a dearth of character. So capitalism only works if there's a, a character underlying it, if, if, if people have an ethical code, so that the batter doesn't you know, uh, take steroids or the pitcher doesn't put the grease on the ball, so that the media doesn't spin a, a story or exacerbate the importance of something simply to get viewers. But we don't currently have that. We don't have that character. Alan Greenspan once wrote an essay that I really like. He called it The Assault on Integrity. And what he talked about was that when the government starts regulating everything and the government puts its you know, foot on the, the table, it takes away the incentive of character because people no longer look to the character of the businesses that they purvey. They look to the regulations that the government puts out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how applicable that is in this situation, but I think it is, and I think character is a big, big part of it, whether it's media, politicians, or, you know, the entertainment sector, the, the, you know, the loud mouths from Hollywood who like to come out and 
put their voice to everything. I think when you have a lack of character, everything just falls apart, and it doesn't matter what your political economic system is. We're talking to Michael Leibowitz. I'm not sure on the character thing because once you get inside of a big bureaucracy, that bureaucracy, whatever its rules are, that becomes the dominant thing. And I think you've seen this in how the prison system operates. The incentives and the uh, the power that sits underneath the surface defines what's going to happen in that organization. And you don't really see people of character expressing their character. They, If, if they want to have character, they have to go work somewhere else, I think. Well, that, I don't disagree with you wholeheartedly, but there are two qualifications I'll make. One, a person of real character will stand up to the bureaucracy and stand up no matter how many voices are against them. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that it's human beings that ultimately form these unions. It's human beings that lobby the government for special favors. It's human beings that form these contracts and these codes of... So you're saying that's when, the, uh, that's when the character has a chance to express itself? Sure, because if you had a free society, right, then you wouldn't have government sector unions, for instance. And then people would have to rise or fall based on their own performance based on things like their own character. But when you have the government that puts its foot on the, you know, on the scales for one side in this case, and in this case it happens to be for the unions, then you end up, you're right. Now somebody that comes to work, say, for the Department of Corrections, all the pressure is bearing down on him to uh, acquiesce to the given culture that's there. But had you had character from the beginning, you wouldn't end up in that position, and it's only character that can change it. But that takes courage and conviction, which not it doesn't seem to me from where I'm, you know, sitting. Which granted is in a prison cell, but it doesn't seem there's much of that out there any longer. So I think you've brought, you've brought us around to what the founders were looking at, and and I think they were more cynical than you with with regard to character. I think they <laughs> they felt that. Uh, when you were creating a government, when you had a government, you had something dangerous and destructive by nature. And by its very nature, that was definitional. And and it was going to create bureaucracies that would squeeze the character out of the culture and decimate. The way our government does today, it just robs us blind and lies to us and tells us stories because it wants the money. And I think that's just... That's the way the nature of things. And that's why they created a government they thought that would do a good job of giving us the tools to be able to keep government small. And that if it was small enough, then there wouldn't be so much corruption. And if there's less corruption and less money to steal, then the pressures on on character and and um, morality, it, it doesn't get squeezed so hard. Well, two things. You're kind of right, but I, I would take issue with a couple things. And, and how I'll do it is this. They put in every safeguard they possibly could to, pre- to prevent, uh, to protect against what they call the problem of faction or, or basically different mobs getting together. Yes. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. They wanted to protect against sort of mob influence overriding character. But they also believed in highly in what they called Republican virtue which is, you know, the proper virtues that people have to practice in order to uphold the republic. So while on one hand you're right, they did put in anonymity of safeguards, or what they thought was anonymity of safeguards, to protect against 
that character, they also thought that there had to be Republican virtue to, in order to uphold it. And I think that they were wrong on both counts. I think ultimately the safeguards they put in weren't enough. And I think they were wrong to think that a Republican virtue would maintain itself. Because if you look at the size of the government has grown exponentially. So the safeguards they put couldn't protect against that. Mm -hmm. And what we have are a bunch of scumbags running our government and our institutions. And other than, you know, adopting a philosophy of reason in a rational ethical code that can basically put the nail in the coffin of all this scumbaggery to coin a term. <laughs> I don't know what other solution you have. Yeah, well, I think the solution is um, the rise and fall that most societies go through and that we're going through right now. And, and I don't know how you avoid that. It's tragic if you have to give up a, a system that functions and on some levels, you know, not 100 percent, but functions in terms of having a political system where people sort of feel like they can resolve problems and avoid violence. And, and really the, the biggest challenge is avoiding falling down into some kind of disarray where violence takes over. Yeah, I think you're, you're right, Todd, that we're on the decline. And it's unfortunate because I think John Winthrop, who I think he was from Connecticut, he called America a shining city on a hill. Mm. And uh, Reagan, of course, echoed those sentiments. And I think America was the best hope for mankind. I mean, it's a, a free country based on liberty and rights. And we have seemed to be squandering it more and more every day. And it's very, very unfortunate. Leibowitz, thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. That's Michael Leibowitz with his little announcer voice. That's what happens when you're in prison. Hi, who's this? You're on the air. Yeah, this is Dave in Brantford. Dave, nice to talk with you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I want to promote Bob Stefanowski. It's very important that we all vote for him and break one-party rule, but I want to talk about science. He was playing accused of playing footsie with the Saudis with the Green Hydrogen Project, mm -hmm. and they didn't tell you what the project was. And so I did a little research on it. Uh, the Saudis were working on this, and there's basically four points. I hope I get to them all. Instead of using the Chinese solar electric panels with the rare earth metals and the political control by the Chinese commies, the Saudis wanted to make a simpler generation of solar collectors, which were basically glass and lenses, which just focused the sunlight on a heat transfer fluid mm -hmm. to boil water and generate electricity. Mm -hmm. a, a, and so we cut the Chinese out of it completely. Uh, that was an excellent idea. Number two, they were going to convert their green hydrogen into ammonia, which is uh, NH3. That's what the molecule is, yeah. which is a relatively benign and easy to ship using existing ships. You don't have to pressurize it or freeze it or anything. Okay. You can just put it in a ship and transfer it. Uh, and also, NH3, ammonia, is also a very good fertilizer for plants, which is also in short supply. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, and they were also going to make straight hydrogen. Number three, this straight hydrogen, uh, Todd, did you know you can direct inject that into our, uh, into our natural gas lines? Up, and why would you do that? Well, because it burns just as well as natural gas. As long as the percentage is less than about 20%, it is a completely flammable and safe and not poisonous fluid. Of course, it is flammable and explosive, but so is the natural gas. And so it acts as an extender for the natural gas supply 
which is obviously very short in short supply in Europe and America. So this is uh, fascinating technology, it sounds like. Sorry, Dave, got to hold you right there because we're late for a traffic update. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All the news you need for your day and the sports, music, and podcasts you love are all on the free Odyssey app. Download it now. Yes, do that downloading. Make it happen. 860-522-9842. All right, line two, who's this? You're on the air. Hi, Todd. This is Christine. Hey, Christine. Um, So I just want to talk about um, one of my pet peeves is when people do so many things for other people they help them out they make their lives better you know and they're just so ungrateful so i have heard you say many times now that if trump knew president trump knew that there was going to be election fraud why didn't he do something about it how do you know he didn't well one of the things he should have done top of all of these issues is to go out and market the issues to people so they understand what's coming. If the populace is activated in advance, that creates political pressure, and that's how you make change happen. You can't change things just by sitting secretly in the Oval Office. You need to build public opinion and a movement to support what you want to do. Okay, so I just want to tell you, you know nothing about the Constitution, and you're going to be eating a lot of crow coming up. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Thank you for explaining so clearly what it is exactly that I'm getting wrong, because now everybody understands. 860-522-9842 is the phone number if you'd like to make a direct call to be on the air. Or you can do a rant at 860-751-4698. Coming up, Chris Powell will join us from the Journal Inquirer, his weekly visit. And in about an hour, Bob Stefanowski will be here. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Okay, what are we doing? We are saying good afternoon to a fascinating guy. He is Chris Powell. Chris Welcome back to WTIC. Hey, Todd. Great to be here. What have you been pondering lately? You bang out more columns and more analysis of what's going on politically in the state than anybody, I think. Which of the many stories you've written in the last week is top of mind for you that you think is most relevant to the election or whatever's going on politically right now? 
Oh, I, I suppose, <clears throat> Todd, uh, the column that meant to, the most to me, uh, or at least that I thought had the most meaning, was uh, uh, about the latest test scores uh, in Connecticut from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is a so-called uh, nation's report card. And uh, as expected, they, they showed uh, a serious decline from the uh, scores on the last test in 2019. And uh, I think they were construed uh, mistakenly. Everybody thought, oh, well, okay, the test scores are are way down, uh, you know, because of the uh, the virus epidemic and the schooling uh, that was interrupted and really the failure of uh, remote learning for so many kids. But that's not true at all, uh, because if you look closely at the data, uh, you find that uh, the test scores for Connecticut were have been falling sharply since uh, 2011. You know, nine years before the epidemic, um, and in fact, uh, uh, they've, they've been uh, really lower than uh, than they were even in 1998. So, according to you know the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Uh, there's been virtually no progress in, in Connecticut's uh, schools, for, uh, as measured by learning anyway, since 1998. And, and the sharp decline in the scores uh, began in 2011. Um, th- there is an uh, un- unappreciated data line in the, uh, in the NEAP uh, tests that uh, uh, show that there's uh, been you know, virtually no change uh, between uh, in the scores between uh, kids who qualify for free lunches and kids who don't qualify for free lunches, that uh, uh, that is still an indicator of household poverty, and it's the household poverty that is really determining the scores. Uh, and if if these data these test scores are are, are correct, education in Connecticut has been declining for. Sharply for for a decade, long before the epidemic uh, hit us, and uh, which is I interesting we... because Chris, the the reporting on this story last week mostly, I think, except for you, maybe followed the the storyline that this was a great indicator of what had happened with regard to the pandemic. Yeah, well, the you know the the epidemic certainly must have had something to do with it, uh, but it's. It's not the whole thing. In fact, I, I don't think it's even even half of it. Well, that's uh, why I'm bringing it up. Like, what's going on with the rest of the media that they everybody seems to follow whatever kind of simplistic, easy to or palatable narrative gets handed to them and they run with it. But you're the only one who broke down these numbers in a way that I found meaningful and, and that offered these insights. Well, look. First, you have to, you know, look at the data, and you know it's complicated. You got to take an hour or two to examine it and make make notes on it. But secondly, probably more decisively, uh, you've got all the educators themselves saying, "Oh, this was the epidemic that did this," and that's very convenient for them uh, because if we attribute it to the, the the epidemic, then we don't have to question them about, "Hey, wait a minute, what what's been happening since you know 2011?" Um, that lets them off the hook if you you say it's all the epidemic. And that's, you know, exactly what happened. But it sure is a much better story when you get down into the nitty-gritty of it. So go back to this comparison that you mentioned about the school lunches. What does that have to do with the performance of of the students? uh, It 
there's two things that are consistent in the in the in the data here. One is that the uh, you know minority uh, racial and ethnic groups still perform so much worse than you know the white kids, uh, and it's consistent with the. Uh, uh, the school lunch data in in the uh, National Assessment of Educational Progress test as well that uh, the uh, uh, number of kids uh, who are getting free lunches corresponds, uh, you know, exactly with the uh, almost exactly with the uh, with the minority uh, uh, racial and ethnic groups uh, performance. Uh, we're not improving uh, the the household poverty situation in Connecticut, and as a result, uh, the uh, uh, racial and ethnic achievement gap uh, endures. And, so you're uh, saying that the uh, school lunch program, if you're on the school lunch program, that that correlates with performing poorly on the tests, yeah, which, it, it, which it, also it indicates that... It also indicates that the school lunch program actually doesn't elevate performance at school, which is the theory behind it, and and that it's a cover story to avoid having to deal with what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the school lunch program is an indicator of household poverty, uh, and it it seems to uh, correspond uh, almost exactly with the uh, with the the, the racial uh, performance gap that is so mortifying here in Connecticut. And it, to me, it implies that. Uh, uh, we're, we're very mistaken if we if we look at, at schools as uh, uh, the source of uh, the educational problem. Uh, it implies that the source of the educational problem uh, is uh, is a lack of, uh, of of parenting, a lack of parents, a lack of uh, resources, or lack of structure in the home. All those issues yeah. that that uh, flow from parenting. Yeah, and you know we've we've had. Uh, uh, sociology reports uh, since the 60s uh, about how uh, uh, home life is is really more important uh, to uh, to education than uh, than anything the schools do. But that's uh, I I know this is your um, we we talk about this a lot and and this is uh, your fallback position which I don't dispute. I just wonder what we can do about it. Like we we've so built these structures in place that I think are the cause, you know, government programs and government support and all the compassion programs actually create the result that you're talking about, right? Well, we, we've been doing poverty in this country for, you know, more than, than, than half a century. And every time we get, you know, terrible test results with this, what, what is the policy the response? The policy response is to spend more on the schools and particularly to, uh, uh, you know, give raises to teachers again. Well, we've mm -hmm. been doing that in Connecticut for decades. It's made absolutely no difference at all. Uh, and I'm just wondering, at what point do we <laughs> look, at the, look at the data and, and stop, uh, you know, responding with raises for teachers? Uh, it's, a, it's a perverse situation because uh, the worse the schools do, uh, the more we pay the teachers because, you know, well, we're doing badly, so we've got to raise teachers' salaries. I mean, the, the teachers' unions certainly have, have no incentive to make things any different because they get, they get paid more if they get worse results. Now, I'm, I'm not blaming the teachers. I, you no, know, no, I think they're playing the, the hand they're dealt. They're, you know, I, I'm just saying that the only thing that matters in schools is demographics. 
Yes, but you're also saying that the government is playing a game with us. The government wants to have more money flowing through its hands. It wants its school system expanded so it can pay its employees more money so they vote more with more loyalty for them. And this rigged system leaves out or includes everybody but the kids who are supposed to be advancing, and they don't advance. Well, we're, we're, we're not... We're not addressing the problem. We're not perceiving what the problem is. The, the problem is not the teachers don't make enough money. The problem is not, as they think in New Haven, that they're you know not teaching phonics, so we shouldn't, you know, that we should teach phonics. I mean, the 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 problem is, is the attention the kids get or don't get at home when they're not in school. Uh, you know, the city teachers will complain all the time that they get, you know, kindergarten, first and second, third grade kids coming to schools. They don't know their letters. They don't know their numbers. They're, they're very, very neglected. And, you know, that's, you can't learn in those situations. You know, the kids are coming to, to kindergarten two or three grades behind, and yet we don't really address this. Uh, and I, I don't think, uh, you know, Head Start has much to, to show for it either. Uh, I, until we're, we're ready to address the uh, the lack of parenting, parenting in the in the state and the country, I, I don't think any of this stuff means anything. It, 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 at least at what point do we look at these decades of falling scores and say, uh, maybe we're not responding in the relevant way? All right, Chris. Chris Powell, Journal Inquirer. Nice to talk with you and have you uh, dig into that a little deeper. Appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. All right. How about that? Isn't that tragic? What a tragic situation. That's one of Bernie's rigged systems. Well, it's not one of Bernie's, but it's where his language applies. And this is what government does. It takes money and it rigs systems. And it's in, it creates incentives to not be successful. That's what they're all about, because their success is winning elections. Their success is more loyalty from their voters. That's what they think is successful. George calling from Vernon. Hey, George. Yes, a couple of things here. Uh, number one, uh, the last call you had on there uh, regarding his... Uh, you talking about Chris Powell, who was just on? Yes, he was. So I would like to hear his take on uh, the Republicans of uh, doing the same thing. And also, I'd like to hear your take on Herschel Walker in Georgia, who is uh, anti-abortion, but yet doing the same thing. Doing what same thing? Having abortions. Well, is there a connection between what somebody... First of all, we don't know if these are real accusations with Herschel Walker. There, anybody could be making claims about something that happened 30 years ago and providing very little evidence and just telling the story. And the, and the national media, which is liberal, would run wild with it and make it seem like he's some evil person. But even if he had done this, how does that make him? So the, the, He's running to be the person who represents the pro-life position. That's his job if he gets elected. Now, Democrats, liberals have been doing this for years. They run, they say, I'm Catholic, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I believe that, I believe in choice. Okay. So all Herschel is doing is the same thing in reverse, isn't he? 
and that's fine. But also at the same time, you have somebody that's in jail calling to your programs who made a lot of people's uh, lives different, and you guys are uh, making this, uh, you know, making this point about things that are not shouldn't be uh, said. I, I'm not sure what you're saying. You're saying Leibowitz shouldn't be on the air because 25 years ago he committed, or 30 years ago he committed crimes that he served 25 years in prison for, and we should never allow him to function in society again? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're justifying his crimes. No, not at all. What I'm, I'm justifying the idea of punishment being what we expect back from somebody, that they accept their punishment. And then at the end of that transaction, you did something wrong, you have to pay us back. That's what society says to criminals, right? And he's paid back. He's done the time. He did the crime. He's done the time. What do you want to punish him with after he's done the time? After he's accepted his punishment, how do you want to punish him now, George? I would say is that he shouldn't be uh, calling to radio station number one. Number he, should, he should lose his freedom of speech. Okay, what else? What other freedom should okay, he lose? Freedom of speech. Come on, that's BS. You know that. That's Come all on. he's doing is exercising you're, you're, his right. Very sarcastic. I'm not being sarcastic at all. This is what you're saying, George. You're on the radio expressing your freedom of speech, and you get to do that simply because you dialed the phone. We know nothing about you. That's right. Exactly. exactly. So, we, so you could have done things worse than Leibowitz. We don't know. What is going on, law and order? What about law, law and order, George? You're, you're conflating things. You're merging things together that have no relationship to each other. The idea of having a criminal justice system is to be able to protect citizens from the malfeasance of people who would uh, step outside of the law. In order to enforce that, you have a system of punishment. And people, if, if somebody commits a three-year crime, you give them three years. At the end of the three years, they're done. They walk out and they start living again. You don't get to all 50 years later, go back and say, well, 50 years ago, you served three years in prison. No, when you're done, you're done. That's the idea. It's a contract thing. Thank you for the call, sir. 860-522-9842. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 